welcome to this episode of Asian Glow Up Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Jojo. I'm Jackie. And I'm April. And today we're joined by Teresa and Enoch from Main Street Patrol. Main Street Patrol is a female-led, diverse, and multifaceted group dedicated to protecting its beloved Flushing community by standing up against xenophobia, speaking out against racism, and safeguarding the neighborhood from anti-Asian hate crimes. We're so excited to be joined by them today. If you just want to quickly introduce yourselves and how you both got involved. Yeah, sure. Good morning. First of all, thank you for having us. Of course. My name is Teresa Ting. I was born and raised in Queens, New York. I am a native New Yorker and I'm an actress. I teach figure skating and I started Main Street Patrol in February of last year after I saw an incident of this Asian woman who was in an unprovoked attack and was shoved to the sidewalk and it was on Roosevelt Avenue in Flushing. So it hit really close to home and my parents usually frequent there and they go grocery shopping. I did all my extracurricular activities there growing up. So it was just way too close to home. Like it could have been my aunt, like what if that was my parents or what if that was someone I knew? And so I just grew really frustrated and I knew there was a lack of bystander intervention education out there, but luckily I found hollaback.org and I decided to just post a story on my Instagram asking for people to, you know, join me on a patrol in the, the downtown Flushing area on their weekends, just so I can feel like if I can be there to possibly deescalate or prevent a situation from happening that, you know, I would feel somewhat more like my duties are fulfilled. So that's how I got started. And after a couple of months, you know, we became this whole organization, which was very surprising because I went into this with no intention of becoming any sort of organization. I just wanted to do something, you know, out of my own goodwill and possibly have, you know, people that I know join. And luckily, I had so many friends of friends just share on um, social media. And that also, you know, gave me a sense of like how powerful social media is because it just was able to reach such a wide audience. And I had strangers, complete strangers, even from the tri-state area or Connecticut or someone who was even willing to fly in from Ohio at some point, I remember. So I was just like super grateful that there were so many people that showed compassion and and, you know, wanted to help out and was aligned with our mission. So that gave me so much hope to keep going with this. And of course, along the way, we found Enoch, who is this amazing volunteer we have, and he's part of our leadership group. So I'm just going to pass this mic now to Enoch. Hi, so good morning. Thank you for having us here. I'm Enoch with MSP. And before coming back to New York, which I was born and raised in, I was an unintentional globetrotter, but then right before the pandemic hit, I came back because I wanted to be close to my family again. And also I found some employment here in New York. So as we were living through the pandemic and eventually, especially last year, when there was, you know, in just such a spike in visible violence towards our community, especially those who are perceived within our society as the more vulnerable, such as our elders, I saw this happening and I wanted to get involved in some way. 
but I just didn't know like where to go, which connections, because like I said, I've been away from New York for quite a while. So I just didn't know how to get involved, even if though I wanted to. But that is when, fortunately, I stumbled upon Main Street Patrol through social media. And I saw that not only were they serving the Asian American community, but they were serving specifically Flushing, which I considered my hometown. Growing up, I lived all over New York, but Flushing was where I considered my place of origin, truly, where I really came to see as my hometown. And I even came back, when I came back to New York, I decided to live near the Flushing area. And so I was just very touched to see that our community was also, our specifically our neighborhood was getting addressed during this time. And so I reached out to Main Street Patrol. And fortunately, by that point, it was a little bit after they came into being. And so they had really good interview process. Like there was a vetting process, which I personally found even more, um, you know, maybe even more willing to join this organization just because there was already like set guidelines. So I knew it wouldn't just be some kind of like vigilante justice, but rather we were going to try to really be professional about about, you know, community safety and bystander intervention. And so I joined this group. And when I first started, I was simply a fellow volunteer patroller. And then from there, I went up to patrol leader. And then before I knew it, I was part of the leadership and planning committee. I love that. I also love that you are already getting into the vetting process. Because as we were looking through the Main Street Patrol website, actually, on how to get involved, we saw that you have to like, pass a quiz about the five D's of intervention. And I just think that's awesome, especially because being a bystander, you need to follow process, I feel like, in order to be like truly impactful because in the moment, you never know how you're going to react or how other people react. So we love seeing that. I'd actually love to hear what both of your experiences were like growing up in New York. Did you always feel safe? And has that only changed in the recent past? That's a great question. So I grew up in Elmhurst in Queens. And I think during those years in grade school, I felt relatively safe just because I was always around my parents. But I do remember middle school being that period where I had to kind of go home by myself. And I would always be very wary of strangers and and having that fear of like being abducted. I don't know if you guys had that similar experience, but it was like very prominent in my middle school to high school years. I was just constantly like afraid like someone's going to abduct me. But I don't know if that's just because, you know, like we're growing to our bodies and we're becoming like women. And, you know, like it's it's that very interesting and awkward phase in our lives that we feel that we're getting like certain attention in certain ways. But I think also this goes back to like my father being very influential in my life because he made me do Taekwondo when I was like six and I absolutely hated it, but he had me follow through with it for like eight years. So I got my third degree black belt and, you know, like literally every single day, I resented it and I resented him for it. And he's like, no, you're going to thank me one day. And I think somewhere along those lines, I think when I was around 11, I was still doing Taekwondo. I saw Shaolin Kung Fu performance that my dad recorded at the mall. And I was like, dude, that's so freaking awesome. Like, I want to learn those weapon thingies. And he's like, 
absolutely, because he's just so passionate about martial arts. And so he signed me up for that too. And next thing you know, like I, it became like so much of my identity that I feel like, I don't know, I just, I just feel this, I feel very compelled to like have more females involved in martial arts. You know, I think growing up, like even when I was in Taekwondo, there was like a lack of that female demographic, which is why I felt very discouraged. You know, I wanted to do what my friends were doing. Like I'm, I want to do like dance class or something. But, you know, I was very fortunate that my dad really taught me to persevere and and get through like even though the hard stuff of sparring, like sparring with boys, you know, I, I just I hated that. But, you know, it, I think it really helped build character. And I'm pretty sure that's what also contributed to me, like finding this group. And I think one of the mo- the interesting things was when I was um, forming this group, the first volunteers all had some sort of martial arts background. So I was like, oh, it's very interesting. Like it must it must make sense. Like you probably feel a little more confident in going out and not saying like you're going to kick someone's ass, but like a little more confident in going out and patrolling and possibly de-escalating and, and helping someone else. Yeah, I would say I did move around. I did move to the city and then I moved to Forest Hills where I'm at now. It's honestly pretty safe here, but I don't think I ever really felt that I was always just safe just in my community, just in general, because you never can predict anything from happening. Thanks for sharing. So to speak on my experience in regards to being safe in our city, I would like to say, again, because of the caveat that, you know, I moved around a lot when I was younger growing up, but of course I was always centraled around NYC. And so going into New York was something that was kind of frequent in my life. And I will say, maybe I could chalk it up to, you know, youthful naivete and also, you know, to be very honest, like male privilege, the fact that I felt a certain sense of safety, but it could also come from the fact that I considered it a place where I was born and raised, like it was my hometown, like it's a place that I'm familiar with. Other than the fact that the basic measures of safety that everybody should do if you're in a big city, I felt like, okay, it might be a metropolis, one of the biggest in the world, but I'm familiar with it. This is my place. And so I felt, I believe personally, a certain level of safety. I came back to NYC and then came back to a pandemic and now violence against our community. And because of that, Now, I definitely feel more of a gnawing sense of anxiety that, of course, many Asian Americans, many Americans who look like us might be feeling during this time. And this gnawing anxiety, this kind of fear is not simply just for myself, but for my younger siblings, for my parents. Let me even give you an anecdote. There was even a time where even from the very onset of the pandemic, when I was actually living with my parents before I moved out, even early on, there were signs of violence towards our community or that kind of outward xenophobia, discrimination. Even when I was walking around my neighborhood, which where my parents live currently, it's uh, predominantly like Caucasian. I would go on my morning walks as I usually do. But then all of a sudden I noticed that for some reason, a neighbor wouldn't walk on the same sidewalk with me anymore. Like they would literally just like walk over to the other side. And it's like, hmm, why would they do that? Was it just because they wanted to social distance or is it because I am Asian and how like the media is currently 
portraying us and also just like the rhetoric that is going on within our country. But what scared me more was I was experiencing things myself that I could handle it on my own. But because I was living with my parents and they're the ones, whenever they would need to go out for the grocery shopping or whatever needs that was necessary to be met, even during a global pandemic, whenever they went out of the house, I, I felt myself clench, you know, just fearing that what might happen to them. And not only the fear of them getting sick, but the fact that will they be targeted because of who they are. I can now, in hindsight, say that was definitely fear. But during that time, I just remember clenching and I didn't know why. And I would only calm down once I heard them come back. And that gnawing anxiety, that fear still persists now. And it's happening all across our country. And I definitely know it's affecting our community here within NYC. And it's something that we're just hyper aware of now, not only again, just for the physical violence that might happen to us, but even like something verbal that might happen. And so whenever I go into the city, which I still frequently do, because I still want to live my life. I don't want us or our community to be barred from the experiences of living simply because of hate. But at the same time, like when I'm on my, when I'm on the subway platforms now, I'm definitely much more back, definitely a little bit more aware. Subway time for me used to be a time where I could kind of like disconnect, kind of zen out. But now it's a time where I have to be until I get in the subway car. And even then, I just have to be really aware. And so that's something different that I thought I'd never experience, you know, within my own city. Thank you for sharing. I think what you just touched on about the commute, that used to be a time to disconnect from the world and just put in headphones, read a book. That was my favorite time of the morning, actually. Because I would always listen to podcasts. But now, like, you have to be constantly aware. And it's not just for yourself either. It's like for other people that look like us, the community, you just have to always be vigilant now. And it's not even an option. You can't just turn it off. So I'm glad that you actually brought that up. Yeah. When you were talking about your family being at the grocery store, I totally get it. When I was home in Vegas, where my mom is, every time we went to like Costco, I also felt just like weirdly aware and alert. And I, I totally know what you mean by that clenching feeling too. Just like looking around, like, is anyone looking at her? Like, if anything happens, like, I felt ready to not attack, but I almost felt ready to say something at all times. Because what if someone came up to us and said something to my mom? Yes, that is so true. I completely agree with all y'all just said. And it's just that like being on the defensive, even in places where we before would just just be, you know, simply just exist. Now we have to be on the defensive. And we might talk about it a little bit more later, but I'll just say even right now, it's kind of tiring. It is mentally and internally draining to just com continuously exist in that state of hypervigilance. Gosh, it is tiring. That is so true. Just even now, like if my parents are leaving their apartments for anything, grocery shopping, you know, I make sure like they they know that it has to be the two of them together if they were to take the subway. And I would not let my mom take the subway alone. And it's just so sad that we've come to this point where we have to be, yeah, extremely hypervigilant. And it's like we just can't let our guard down at any moment because these things just keep on happening. And what can we do in this situation? It's so, there's obviously so many of these emotionally, you know, disturbed individuals. But, you know, you, you can't just like remove them. Like, where are you going to put them? Right. And this whole thing just goes back to deeper rooted issue here. And so for now, it's like we have to just do the best we can ourselves and for each other.
And that is just being very situationally aware of our surroundings at all times, because that's the only way we can possibly avoid and prevent these incidents from happening. So, Teresa, I know you mentioned to me that you are kind of moving on from this patrolling version of MSP to almost like a rebirth or an MSP part two, where it's more about education and awareness that we're kind of talking about right now. Can you explain like what you see as your vision? Yeah, of course. You know, I think even when I first started with the patrol group, I knew that patrolling wasn't the long-term solution because it's just impossible for that to really aid people for the long run. It's just like, how long can people be patrolling? It's great that we see so many, you know, grassroots organizations forming and other patrol groups coming along as well, but it just wasn't ideal for the long-term. You know, I think education can go a long, long way. And so we got together, the leaders, we all got together and we brainstormed and we came up with this idea of like, hey, well, social media is so, it's so widespread and it's so easy to share information. Like people, I think one of the issues that we first noticed was people are so plugged into their phones. And even if they're on the subway, they're always like looking down, which is why we need a little more of this PSA to to look up and to be aware of your surroundings. And so going off of that idea, we're like, hey, what if we, if people are so glued to their phones, like what if we send a message through like TikTok or Instagram reels, like something that's like quick and punchy and short that people can really digest really quickly and can be very easily shared. And just about like these very basic situational awareness tactics and skills that maybe one person wouldn't really think about or like they might know this or have this knowledge in the back of their head but they're not actively thinking about it but at this time we need to be actively thinking about these things unfortunately to possibly prevent these situations from happening so we are our way to developing this new series where we will be releasing on social media just on these very basic but very useful tactics and techniques that everyone can be understand and use and we'll even have translations to Asian languages and share on Asian platforms like WeChat or like Kakao or Line or whatever the older demographic might use. And so I think that's the quickest way that we can inform these people of certain things that you can do in these situations, like learning how to say help, right? I think that's something that we don't really think about, but I think learning to say help in English or even ways of being more informative in what you need help with. And we also would like to, these past incidents that have happened, what you can possibly do if you were in that situation. What's the best solution to do if you were faced in that similar type of situation? And I think that would be uh, very resourceful to our community. So you had also mentioned that you had, correct me if I'm wrong, the DA of Queens uh, on your board. So could you kind of talk about how this leadership team came to fruition and what it means to have someone like the DA of Queens along in your mission? Well, so he's he's not really on our board, but like he's part of our, our group for sure. But I would say it started with just strangers and friends who got together in the very beginning and who are willing to devote, I would say, most of their time 
to forming this group? Like, I think that it was it was around the time where people were just starting to get back to their work. People had a little more free time, but they were like devoting like most of their time. And I was just like amazed. Like we had signal chat group and it was just blowing off all day and we we're just brainstorming things. I was just like, wow, this is like amazing. How do you guys like have time to do this? But people were just so involved and I was just so driven and inspired by that. I'm just like, wow, if so many people are like so fueled by this, there's no way I can lose steam myself, right? So it definitely kept me more motivated. And next thing you know, we like formed like a hierarchy and we assigned roles and we created events last year for May of AAPA month. We created a ton of events, which I was super proud of. And we put together like self-defense classes for the community, like free self-defense classes. We've given out safety whistles, safety alarms. We've collaborated with restaurants to donate like hot meals to our community fridge. So those are just some of the things that I was really, really proud of. And as time went on, like some people had to commit to their regular jobs and some people had to leave. So that was just the natural state of how things were flowing. And naturally, I think like the six of us now um, in leadership, and it was just a very natural chemistry. Some of us have been friends for a very long time and some of us are new, but we just had this like very natural flow and we understood our mission and we just worked really well together. So I'm very, very grateful for the the group that we have now. Well, I really love that. And I, I think even last year too, I was able to attend some of these events and I even have the whistle in my bag, which is really funny because I remember just picking it up and it's very inspiring to have everyone come together and host these events because I think not until we see things like this start to happen, it's like, oh, wow, now I really want to take part and get involved and do something. And leading into my next question, I would love to know, what does community really mean to you? And how do you find yourself building that together? Yeah, to me, community means a sense of belonging. I think whether that's similar demographic or that's shared interest or religion or whatever it is, it's that sense of being there for each other and I think to the core, you know, we're all still human beings and we're the same. Yeah. Community for me, if I were to define it by one word, it would be fellowship. Similar to what Teresa mentioned, it's a time of coming together, being together, sharing with something, whether it be breaking bread, whether it be a hobby, whether it be a cultural identity, racial identity, or a wanting to connect you know, to really create that welcoming environment where anybody can be a member and within a community, of course, you know, just feeling safe underneath it all. There is something that, as it says within the word, there is a unity behind it. I love it. <laughs> cool. And I know we mentioned earlier the five D's of bystander interventions, so kind of to caveat towards that. Could you guys really quickly share what those are and maybe how some of our listeners could respond if anything were to happen? So it's direct delegate, delay, distract, and document. I think delegate is the one that would be the most useful for any type of situation where you feel that, whether you feel that you can handle it on your own or you feel that you can actually hand out responsibilities to people around you or maybe to someone with more of an authority, 
So let's say like you're in a crowded situation and people are just standing around and not really doing anything and you want to get involved, but you're also afraid that you are going to be in this physical altercation and you might be alone, right? So it'll be a great idea to delegate uh, certain people in the crowd, right? Like I would just say, be as direct as possible when you're doing that. Sometimes if people are not responding, like you can literally point them out in the clothing they're wearing like hey you in the blue hoodie like come out and you and like we're gonna get this guy off of him you know I think people are when they're when they're standing and watching they're evaluating the situation they're also they they do want to help but they're also scared but I think the second that someone can actually delegate these roles out they're more willing to do it because they see that there's more people involved and of course, if you're like in a restaurant or somewhere where you feel like you can delegate this to a manager or like someone who is more in charge to check on the situation, right? So I think delegate is very useful in those situations, especially for even for younger, like children, the youth, right? I think they feel the need to like ask someone who is more of an authority figure to do something like teachers or something. But I think that's so important for everyone to really know that, you know, you can actually delegate, like this doesn't have to be done on your own. And what's next? Document. I think that one is pretty straightforward. People do this a lot, right? They're on their phone, they pull their camera, and you can just document and record. So we recommend recording situations rather than taking pictures because you can get more of the general incident, better coverage. And also, if you are documenting, just make sure that you are not, you're at a safe distance and you don't want to be too close where you can actually agitate the perpetrator or something like that. And you don't want them to, you know, direct their anger towards you for sticking your camera in their face, right? So just be aware of that. A lot of times I tell my patrollers, like, just pretend like making a phone call, but you're hitting that record button. So it's just a little more discreet. And then also a, yeah, one of the five Ds that I personally use a lot, just not only on patrols, but also in my personal life is distract. And it could be as simple as saying like, hi, what's going on here? Or, oh, what's this? Because distract, as the name might give out, it's to draw the attention away from the person who's becoming, who's receiving the attention of this perpetrator. And it's to try to just continue on the conversation in a different way, get them away from them. And distract is something that is really helpful because just because like if you distract the perpetrator, it might be enough for them just to be like, eh, whatever, and then walk away. And of course, after distract, it's or whatever the incident might happen after it dissipates, it is always great to go to delay, which is the name's a little bit weird, but it's to say that once everything has calmed down, just checking in on the person who was the attention of the perpetrator, seeing how they are because especially if they are at the receiving end of something really egregious, it's very, it's very disconcerting. You know, it's like, it's like they're in a state of maybe shock, all these negative feelings. So always check in on the person because it's about them and not the perpetrator. And last but not least, direct, because sometimes you just have to get in on their face. Granted, when it comes to our patrols, we always tell our patrollers that if you're going to engage directly, it's up to you and your discretion because you are putting yourself in the line of fire. However, as we have learned and we have seen, sometimes that's the only way that can change the situation. Some people wake up after a gentle nudge, sometimes just going to douse them with water. And so direct while I personally or MSP doesn't personally condone it as the first method, 
I will say it's something that we do understand must be done. Yeah. Yes. And going off of direct, I think it's a great, it's a great one to use if you are at a safe distance, right? So one of our leaders actually just used that in a very recent small incident she saw at a subway station. She was coming home from work and she noticed this emotionally disturbed individual was kind of following this Asian woman who was just on her phone. And she she was like by the turnstiles and she was like watching this go down. And he was just kind of like erratically like singing to himself, like jumping like in front of her. But she wasn't really noticing that. And my friend noticed a, a bunch of people were just watching this happen for like maybe 20 or 30 seconds. But she was just like, oh, my gosh, like no one's doing anything. So she just yelled like as loudly as possible, like leave her alone. And it was enough to like startle everyone. And it had it gave time for that the Asian woman to walk away and for him to divert his attention. But she was also at a safe distance. So I think that is just something very simple that we can do for each other. But as long as you're, you know, at a safe distance, I think we can all consider using something like that. Yeah. And direct doesn't have to be as confrontational as one might think. Of course, when we think of direct, it might, might seem like, for the lack of a better word, throwing hands. But it could also be just simply just getting in front of it. For example, if I'm going to use uh, my personal example, when I was on Main Street, there was one day where I noticed that there was this very inebriated individual. And they were causing a disturbance because they were literally right in front of an open MTA bus. It was open, like the driver clearly had to pick up the passengers and the passengers had to get into the bus. But where this inebriated individual who was literally right in front of the door and was, of course, and because of that, like not letting the individuals go in to, to get where they have to. And so what I ended up doing, granted, this kind of been really bad. So please keep that in mind. But what I did was I was like, okay, I think he's inebriated enough where he might not take a swing at me. And so I literally went up to this individual, like kind of like put my arms around it and be like, okay, sir, people have to go home. People have to go to work. Let's go. So I kind of just like dragged him out. And of course, you know, he said some colorful language to me. However, I think it was enough where he was too inebriated or kind of like surprised that somebody did this, where he, he did eventually just walk away and these people were able to go home. So I'm curious, you had already mentioned the idea of like utilizing the privilege you have as a male. So do you think that in that moment that really made you more confident to do something like that? Oh, honestly, absolutely. And that could have definitely been a factor why I can be more nosy at times, to be very honest with you. <laughs> Again, like that subconscious male privilege. If I'm going to go into another anecdote about something that I've done, this kind of maybe a amalgamation of distracted delay. You know, over the summer when I was in the city, I noticed that there was this, this, this Asian girl who was passing by me on the street, like this very narrow like sidewalk because there was construction going on. But of course, so I noticed her like coming towards the opposite direction where I was. But then right behind me, I noticed there was this significantly older, taller, Caucasian male. And trust your instincts. I knew, I knew something was most likely going to happen. So thanks to, you know, my patrolling, <laughs> I was kind of aware, like, okay, like, gnawing feeling like let's be on alert and again surprise surprise as the asian girl was passing by this older male you know i wasn't i wasn't close enough where i could hear the 
the uh, altercation, but definitely it wasn't, it wasn't savory. And so clearly she was disturbed and he was kind of having a laugh about it. And so that's when I went up and did the distract aspect. I literally was like, hi, what's going on here? Or like, what did you say to her? And of course, again, he said some colorful language to me and he ended up just going the other way, just keep walking. And then that's when I did the delay as well, because I just wanted to check up on her. She did tell me that he told, he said some very nasty things to her. And so I'm glad that I did what I did. And that's because too, if you've seen on the news and you've seen on all like the social media posts, predominantly the attacks are happening to members of our community who society till this point has perceived to be the most vulnerable members of our society. Our elders, our children, unfortunately, our, our female population, which goes to just show that it's so unfair. I can't say I'm the strongest guy that I know, but simply because of my, my gender, I am perceived to be somebody to not be messed with. And so in that sense, I want to just do what I can for our community. Gosh, I hope I sounded okay. <laughs> no, that was that was beautiful, actually, Enoch. Thank you for sharing. So I know that you just shared like the five D's of bystander intervention and all that kind of like relates back to this feeling of always clenching almost and the uneasiness associated with just existing. So I'm curious, have there been any like resources or practices that either of you have been doing to rest or like bring a little bit more of like an easiness to your mental health, perhaps? Having a creative outlet is definitely helpful for me. I like to tune out. I love music and dance, you know, whether that's choreography or whatever that can just help me release and feel like I'm still being creative because I think I'm a pretty creative individual. And if I feel that my creativity is gone out the window, then that's that's not good, right? So I think it's important to also get enough sleep. I think I've, I've been struggling to get good sleep lately. I don't know if it's because of all this anxiety and stress from the news and everything, but um, definitely been trying to work on just a better sleep schedule and tuning into my body for my needed rest. Like two days ago, I just took off from work because I of my cold and I just like, I just knew I had to listen to my body and just let myself rest. So for me, how I've been kind of self-care, as they say, during these times is when it's specifically in regards to Asian hate, I've been then just engaging more with my community. And that is to say, like my family, hang out with my friends or try to make it more, I, especially in recent months, made it more just a part of my life because I know just being with my community really helps me. And not only just in my personal life with my friends and family, even within my own workplace, I've been engaging with the Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander community at large. And so I'm part of a affinity group for AANHPI employees within my workplace. And also within it, I started a book club where we talk about books, you know, that are related to our identity. So for example, actually tomorrow we're going to go to a book club meeting and it's going to be to discuss minor feelings yeah great book by the way heavy uh, but great we have actually all read half of it at this point yeah we need to finish it but it is such a great read so highly recommend it really is yes. do you guys have any upcoming events as well for just the listeners out there and things that you guys have planned that 
people can look forward to? I think for now, we're just uh, focused on launching our series and we will be posting that on our social media. So just make sure you follow us on at Main Street Patrol and we have our website and be on our email list. You can just send us an email at contact at MainStreetPatrol.org. And that's our website, MainStreetPatrol.org. We also have a link tree. Hopefully we'll be posting any updates on those as well. So just, I would just say, just make sure you follow us and we'll be posting our news on there soon. Awesome. And we'll definitely be sharing these on our socials as well. As we start to begin to wrap up, we also really want to ask, do you have any advice for people in other communities wanting to start something similar? So whether it's in their neighborhood or their community, they want to take action. I would just say, if you have an idea and you're motivated, you just have to do it. It's, it sounds very cliche, but yeah, I think if you're thinking about like neighborhood safety, I think always try to consider, is this more like a, a place where people tend to walk around in or is this a place more where you kind of have to drive around? Because I do know like if you do patrols, you can do car patrols as well. So if you if you feel discouraged to like, oh, like we can't really walk in this area, like you can also turn to other vehicles like cars or maybe bike definitely try to use social media i think that's a great way to get your word out when i started actually the first weekend i wanted to do all my all my friends were busy or they were out of town and so i was so discouraged to do this because i was like oh my gosh i'm just gonna like go and stand in front of flushing library and hopefully have random people come like I don't know I was just like very very discouraged by that but to to my surprise I had like about three or four people that day that came and there were people that I knew from high school and like there weren't people like I hung out with regularly either they're just like people that I met randomly at different times in my life so I would just say if you have an idea like put it out there and just just do it if you have any friends who want to be involved, I think absolutely like you guys can brainstorm and get together and, and do something. But don't just sit there is what I'm saying. But obviously you want to consider everyone's safety as well. That's what I have. I don't know, Enoch, if you have anything to say. Yeah. So something that I'd like to add, I know because it's going to stay on the optimistic side. I will say just remember to take care of yourself during this time as well. And especially because if it's grassroots work or volunteer work that is related to something that we do at like MSP, it is on the heavier side, you know, considering, thinking, serving your community, especially when it got in regards to safety, it could really, you know, weigh upon you after a point. And so just wanted to say that if you are going to pour yourself out, remember to also find ways maybe we'd be through self-care, fellowship, what have you, just to refill your own well. And one last question, how can people get involved or take action beyond just donating money? Like not that that is a bad way to contribute, but kind of like how Teresa, you were saying, like sometimes it needs to be before the action happens. What do you think is most impactful? Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many things you can do. I don't think there's like one right answer. So definitely researching, educating yourself. Maybe there's something that people don't know about yet or 
some very little people know about and you want to somehow like disperse that information a little bit more and or maybe like get in touch with other grassroots communities. I think there's just so many ways to connect with other individuals. Checking in with your community, your AAPI community or other communities, you know, like just asking your friends, like, how are you doing? I think that is something so simple, but it can be very impactful. And I think those can lead to very powerful conversations. And to piggyback off Teresa, because there are so many ways that you could get involved, I will say get involved in a way that works for you that emulates you. So for example, again, Major Patrol is about predominantly community safety. And so maybe those, as Teresa mentioned, the earliest volunteers were those individuals who had a background in martial arts, self-defense. Makes sense. But let's say you're somebody who you're very good at economics, let's say, for example, then there's groups like that. For example, on the top of my head, Save Chinatown. Their whole initiative was to help local businesses within New York's Chinatown to make sure that they could get grants, that they could get small business loans. If you're good at that kind of stuff, that would definitely be the group to volunteer with. Maybe somebody who's more athletic and likes working out, a way that they could get involved with is like a group such as Run for Chinatown, whose whole group is about exercising and using these runs to kind of like marathon style, like I'll run X amount for X amount of this. So yeah, so if you're really into working out, that's another group that you could join. You know, find the way that you can serve in your capacity. And yeah, and in that way, you will be the best individual to serve in the best way that you can. Yeah, I actually really love that because I feel like a lot of people are intimidated and maybe don't know how to start, but really playing into your strength and thinking of your specific interests, I think will really motivate you to show up more as yourself too. Yes, exactly. That's the best way to put it. It's very inspiring talking to you guys and just sharing similar experiences and learning what you're doing and how even just like the last comment you mentioned, it's very inviting. I want to put way more of an effort because I don't feel like you have to do zero to 100. It's like whatever you're comfortable with and as you slowly build up and then that's a nice way to be open. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. And y'all are doing it too even right now with this podcast. So hey, hands up to you guys too. I think we've already mentioned this, but as transplants, I'm from Texas. They're both from California. We have just now kind of started really grasping our own definition of community here in New York. So again, we really appreciate your time and energy, most importantly, to be doing this outreach and uplifting the community with us. Oh my God. Thank you guys. So you guys are amazing for doing this at this very dire time mm-hmm. that we, our community. Yeah, seriously, thank you so much for having us. Of course. Thank you both so much, Teresa and Enoch, for speaking with us today. We have learned so much from this discussion. I don't want to speak for all of us, but I just know it. I can feel it. We will definitely be taking action and thinking about ways to activate our community based off of ways that we can show up as our true selves. But again, like... For our listeners out there, if you'd like to connect with Main Street Patrol, you can find them on their website or on their Instagram at Main Street Patrol. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.